Hello, it's Sarah Archer and you're listening to episode 24 of the Speaking Club podcast. Now, my old friend Napoleon Hill said, patience, persistence and perspiration make an unbeatable combination for success. But if you want friends to share it with, I'd add in deodorant. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, and welcome to the show. Now, this episode is one that transitions from a month where the focus was on some of the practical things you could do to build your profile and influence to get more of what you want, whether that was speaking gigs or more clients and so on, to this month where I want to look at how you can build the resilience you need to break through fear, deal with rejection, beat your own demons and stay the course to get what you want. Now, I've got some great guests coming up later this month who will be sharing their stories and tips to help you. But on this show, I wanted to share mine. Now, I'm no Oprah Winfrey, Elon Musk or Aaron Ralston. If you don't know who that guy is, he was the fella who was trapped by a boulder for 127 hours and cut his own hand off to survive. More on him later. But over my time on the planet, I've set some big goals and challenges and a lot of them I've achieved. And I've been reflecting on what I've learned about what works for me in managing my own mind and what's made the difference in my life between success and not getting there. Now, some of this stuff you might use already, but some of it might be new. And it's been useful for me as a reminder of all the tools that I have to keep me resilient and moving forward. And I hope some of them help and resonate with you. So there's no particular order to these things. It's just kind of how they popped out of my head. And, and I'm trusting there was some reason for, for the way they came out. Okay, let's hit it with number one in my mind hacks. The first is naivety and never giving up. I've noticed more and more recently that a big factor of success is naivety. And I think this is where younger people, the ones straight out of college or university, can have an advantage in business because they don't stop to think how difficult things might be or how high the odds are stacked against them because they don't know. So they just go for it and figure things out along the way. Now, ironically, so many of us decide to leave corporate world and start a business or change career when we're older, when we've got more baggage more experience, more knockbacks to, as a reference point. And, and some of us can project these things into our new venture, which can lead to a fear of failure. And then this fear can slow us down or stop us in our tracks. Now, I've, I've done this myself. We'll research something to death and wait for the stars to align before we start instead of just taking action. So utilising the skills and knowledge we've gained over the years is absolutely fabulous. That's great. But I truly believe more and more that these need to be coupled with an empty and open mind as far as the future is concerned. More and more myself, I'm trying to cultivate the attitude of naivety. Just 
following the process without second guessing myself or the outcome. Trusting that by doing the right things and persevering, I will get the results I want. And that's my first offering up to you. Stay naive. Don't give up. Follow the process. Okay, hack number two. I'm calling this picture power. Uh, Some of you might relate to this better as why power or possibly willpower. But when I look back on my life, one of the biggest factors in making me successful at exercising the discipline, the focus and the determination I need to achieve a goal is when I've had the clearest picture in my head of the outcome I want. I know this isn't rocket science, but I think it's vital to mention. I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter, Isabel, someone had told me that I was going to be eating for two. Now, as a woman who loves food, I didn't need more encouragement than that to throw portion size to the wind and stuff my face. Obviously, I'm cursing the person now who told me that for talking out of their bum. And it's certainly not something that anyone advises today. But the upshot of me embracing eating for two was that once my daughter Isabella popped out, some people were still asking me when the baby was due. Not good. I had to work really hard to get that weight off. I started running. I exercised every day. But what kept me going, because it wasn't, it was really difficult, was this really vivid image I had in my head of me going into a clothes shop and reaching for a size 10 hanger. That's a size 8 if you're listening in America and a 38 in Europe. Now, I, I know it's bizarre. I don't know why it was. It wasn't me on a beach or something or me, I don't know, running around with Isabel out, not out of breath. It was just going into a shop and getting the, the small size hanger. And I mean, at the time, I was about three sizes larger. So it was a big goal. And, and it was the, this picture version of my why that became the powerful driver behind that change that I wanted to make. And I know some people swear by vision boards and they pin up photos of the dream house, their lifestyle or the car they want. But what works for me is visualizing the outcome I want and then almost holding like a freeze frame of it, of that image in my head. I've also used it in reverse effectively as well for knuckling down to work. Uh, focus is always a bit of an issue for me. So uh, I just kind of visualize what it'll be like if I'm standing on stage with nothing prepared And then that emotion of panic quickly surfaces and it helps me to get back in and get focused again. So that was uh, tip number two, picture power or hack number two. I don't know what the difference between a hack and a tip is, but anyway, it's uh, it's picture power. Okay, number three, I'm calling this center stage. So it's the performer in me, I think, but I like to sort of picture being present in the moment as me being center stage. Whereas when I'm thinking about the past or worrying about the future, I'm in the wings and the show is going on without me. Now I've spoken before, not on the podcast, but in my TED talk, I think maybe on the podcast I've spoken before about how I struggle to stay present in my life. And it's still something I really have to work on. But I believe it's an imperative for a number of reasons. Firstly, that constant chatter in our heads, which so often becomes that negative voice that talks us out of taking action, that undermines us, that steals our dreams, only has power when we're thinking about the past or the future. If we're in the present, doing, problem solving, listening and experiencing the moment, that voice is silent and just test it out. It's just not there. 
your present is not there. Now, I discovered this and the revelation that I could choose whether to listen or not to that voice through a man called Eckhart Tolle and his book called The Power of Now. Now, he was a bloke that was plagued by depression and anxiety to the point where one night his life seemed so meaningless that he contemplated ending it. But he, the words he used to articulate that thought were, I can't live with myself any longer. And this led him to notice that it was phrased as if there were like two versions of him, the I and the myself that he couldn't live with, which in turn led him to question who these two were. And he couldn't answer that question. But when he kind of asked it, all of a sudden his mind went quiet and, and he pretty much collapsed. But when he woke up the next day, his destructive, critical, nasty self, he calls it his suffering self, seemed to have vanished and he said it was like being reborn. Now, this might be a bit woo-woo for you, but the bottom line is that once he realised that voice in his head wasn't him and he realised he didn't have to accept what that voice said as true, then he became a free man. And he called this voice uh, in his book, The Pain Body, because whilst, you know, our minds do their best to keep us and and the sort of ego small and safe, it's also causing us angst and sabotaging our dreams. At its heart, for me, being present, being mindful, being in the flow, whatever you call it in, in a terminology that you understand, not only silences the negativity but it's that space in which we can be super productive, creative and get into that deep work and thought that will take our speaking, our careers and our business forward. So for me, it's being center stage, being present as much as I can. Now, my next hack is called loving what is. Now, around the same time I discovered Eckhart Tolle, I found a lady called Byron Katie and the concept of loving what is. Now, in a similar way to Toller, Byron Katie reached rock bottom in her life. After almost 10 years of depression and self-loathing and suicidal thoughts, one morning she had an epiphany. She, she found that when she believed her thoughts, she suffered. And when she didn't believe them, she didn't. She realised that it wasn't the world around her that was calling her to feel depressed and, and all of the other stuff. It was the thought she was having about the world. Instead of accepting the way her world was, she was wishing it was something different. And from this sort of aha moment, this discovery, she developed a framework which has been helping people ever since. Now, I came across this framework when a coach used it on me. I just got promoted to a director role and I was really struggling with the step up and with the relationship I had with my boss, the CEO, and it was affecting my my work and my performance. Now, I thought I'd share this experience with you so that you can hear how um, Byron Katie's framework works. Okay, so firstly, the coach asked me what the problem was and I said, my boss doesn't value me. Not in that way, that was a bit too perky. I probably would my boss doesn't value me. Anyway, we worked through these four simple questions of the framework and which which she calls the work. So he asked me, is it true that your boss doesn't value you? 
And I was like, yes. And I came up with like loads of examples to back this up. At which point he said, can you absolutely know that it's true? And I said, well, I'm not in his head, but it certainly feels that way. And he repeated the questions. And I said, no, I can't absolutely know it's true. Okay. And then he asked the third question. How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? At which point I started to cry. I really tried not to, especially as I was in a glass office where everyone could see. And I hate crying in front of people. And this made it worse because basically I got a snotty nose and a headache and I just was a mess. Anyway, that clearly demonstrated to him and to me how much power that thought had over me. And then he asked me, who would you be without that thought? And I remember saying words like, happy, more confident and a better director. And then we we worked on the final piece of this. So there's these four questions and then this thing called the turnaround. And that's where you take a 360 degree look at the thought. Okay, so we tried different ways of looking at it. Like, I don't value him. He does value me and I don't value myself. I won't go into all of them, but as you probably guess, the I don't value myself was the thing that was underneath it all. And, and it was causing me to seek so much validation externally. And as the coach said, I don't think you'll find it's in your employment contract that your boss has to value you. So um, that framework has been really helpful um, in my life. But there's, there's two important parts to this stuff. The first is recognizing that you can question your thoughts. And this framework is a really simple and powerful tool to do this. And the other part is this. If we love what is rather than what or how we believe things should be, then we've got power. But if we're constantly railing at reality or trying to change people, then we get stuck. So if, if, I, if I accept that that's how the person is, then I've got a choice about what I do next. I can love them anyway or like them anyway or move on. So if, if, if you're having money problems or health problems and all, all you do is say, it's not fair, this shouldn't be happening to me, there's no way forward. If you're scared of public speaking, but it's something that you need or you want to do, then ignoring it or fighting it s- stops us. Whereas if you accept that's how you feel at the moment, then you can begin to consider what to do to change the situation. So I remember that guy, Aaron Ralston, I mentioned at the start, well, the one who cut off his arm. So he was stuck in that, you know, crevice or I don't know what you call it, canyon under that boulder for like 100 and I think 27 hours. And I'm assuming that once he'd been through all of the thoughts about his situation, I shouldn't have gone alone. How unlucky am I? Why can't I move this boulder? And he accepted that his arm wasn't coming free, that he was on his own. And if he didn't get free, he'd die. Then he's got choice again. Basically die or cut his hand off with a penknife. And he said the night before he did it, that he had a vision of him playing with his future son. And it was that picture that gave him the reason and the strength to free himself. So back to that sort of picture power again. And and basically he, he cut his, his hand off with a penknife. Amazing, amazing. But anyway, once you accept reality, you've got choice. If you fight against it, you haven't. There's also another saying, so, which is whatever you resist will persist. 
and that goes for arguments as well so uh, if there's nothing to resist against then an argument can't continue anyway that is tip number four loving what is okay number five i'm calling this one second thought I attended an unconscious bias seminar years and years ago. And unconscious bias is something that, uh, if you don't know, is mostly used or it's used a lot in diversity um, circles. It's a it's a, a, a prejudice or um, a reaction to something that is uh, unconscious based on how we've been brought up or conditioning from society and all, all that good stuff or bad stuff, I suppose, in this case. But the lady giving the talk said... Because of the way that we've been brought up and the conditioning we're subject to, we can't help that our first thought is often full of prejudice. But we can choose our second thought. And I, I've been thinking about this and I believe that just like we can't help our first thought when it comes to race or religion or sexuality, I think we often react instinctively when we're faced with doing something outside our comfort zone when people press our hot buttons or, and this is a big one for me and for lots of people I know, when we see someone doing better than us. Okay, I've recently taken up bouldering, which is like climbing, but without the ropes. And you go up boulders instead of mountains, although I, it's all indoors at the moment. There's, I'm not, uh, not ready to get out in the big wide open. And this bouldering is brilliant for fitness, and we started it because my daughter and my partner, Emma, wanted to do it. Anyhow, I've discovered that I climb walls like a spider that's lost seven of its legs. I'm rubbish at it. And the other two are like rats up a drain pipe. And this is this is the reverse of the norm because I'm used to being the best when it comes to sport. And that sounds big headed. It's just it's just true. I'm pretty good at racket sports and all sorts. And and it's really hard to swallow that I'm not excelling at this and there's reasons for it I'm I'm older I'm heavier and I did have a foot up at the back of end of last year that I'm still recovering from but it doesn't make it any easier for my pride that I've got some valid excuses and I've had so many negative thoughts bubble up um, but I've been really working hard to choose the next thought and instead of giving up, which I know I'm, I could get quite easily just uh, go and get a coffee and watch them, I, I am trying hard. And, and slowly but surely I'm improving and I'm determined to catch them up. But bloody, it's hard being the tortoise and not the hare. Um, the other big challenge for me, staying focused and committed, is when I compare myself to others. I don't know if there's anything worse than when you're experiencing a low point in your business and you go on social media and it looks like everyone else is doing so much better. It's really hard not to go down a wormhole of like psychological self-bullying. Don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure you're the same as I am. I don't begrudge other people's success. I think it's brilliant. But I defy anyone who says that they don't have that first negative thought pop up. The trick is to cut off the destructive voice. And so it's at that point that I stop, I breathe, and sometimes I'll even have a little chuckle at myself because some of the stuff that our mind comes up with, well, my mind anyway, is like being back in the playground. And and, and then I choose a positive second uh, thought and crack on with my goals. And whether I hit those goals or not, that's the yardstick I need to be measuring myself against. 
not what other people are doing. And I know it's hard. I struggle with it all the time. I'm sure maybe you do. If you don't, you're very lucky. Um, But it's our own goals. So choosing your second thought can be really helpful. And I don't believe we've often got a choice about the first one that pops in our head. But we do have uh, control over what we think next. Okay. Next hack, hack, hack is be your own best friend. Now, the other sport I play is golf. I love it, although I don't get much time for it these days or at the moment. But it's such a psychological game and it really tests your mental resilience. When I was starting out, I either missed the ball, hit it into a bush or on the odd occasion, even ended up with it behind me because I whacked it into a tree and it rebounded. And I used to lose my temper regularly. And I've definitely I've thrown a golf club or two around in my time. But I do remember going out with my dad once, though. And after hitting about five like shockingly bad shots in a row, he grabbed his whole bag of clubs and threw them in a ditch, the, the one he just hit his ball into. And it was hilarious. And it was even funnier watching him get them out of that ditch. Now, we didn't finish that round. I'm pretty sure if we hadn't left voluntarily, we would have got thrown out because there, there's lots of etiquette rules around uh, golf clubs. And I'm pretty sure Dad broke most of them by throwing his golf clubs in that ditch. Anyhow, after seeing Dad's meltdown, I realised it might be useful to get some help with the mental side of the game. And I discovered a golf coach called Bob Rotella and I listened to his audiobook. And he had loads of brilliant tips that worked in golf and life as well, to be honest. And the one that's really stayed with me was be your own best friend. So instead of throwing a flurry of insults and judgments at yourself when something doesn't go to plan, imagine what your best friend would say. I would imagine if they're like my friends, they'd be supportive They'd focus on the positive things that you're doing and they would tell you to let it go and move on. And instead of all the things that your mind normally comes up with, you're rubbish, you might as well give up. What are you thinking? You're just awful, etc, etc, etc. And I tried this when I played golf and I still use it today and it genuinely works. It kind of diffuses the anger and the frustration and it's almost, it enables you to inject a bit of perspective and objectivity into the situation. It's like an adult steps in and stops your stupid childish mind from coming up with all that rubbish. So yeah, be your own best friend. Try it out. It works for me. It Hopefully it might work for you too when you have those moments that, uh, that <laughs> when things don't quite go as they should. Okay, number seven, say it and date it. When I'm scared about doing something, when I think there's a chance that I'll chicken out of doing it, then I'll set a date and announce it. And I found out recently that just telling people you're going to do something isn't enough because apparently when we tell people uh, that we're going to do something, we get an endorphin rush, like as if we've done it. So it almost it doesn't give us that momentum to go forward it's always like we're getting the reward by telling people that we're going to do it so you need to set a date as well it's not just not good enough just telling people and it's always always about actions rather than words anyway isn't it but once you've got a date and you've announced it whether that's to an individual or you know a group or even on social media 
then I find certainly for me, I've got to see it through. And one other tip here, this is for me, but it might apply to you too, is to set mini deadlines along the way. I am really bad at leaving things to the last minute and that's not ideal. It's not for my stress levels anyway. Um, so I started setting mini deadlines to make sure I'm on track for the delivery date. It doesn't work all the time, but you know, I'm working on it. Um, and the last tip, number eight or hack number eight, you're going to die. That's, that sounds awful, doesn't it? We all know the most precious resource we have is time and it's finite for each of us. We're all going to go. It's going to happen. And another tactic that I employ, uh, sparingly though, I might add, it, to push myself forward, to take action today instead of waiting, is to remind myself that life is short. And I prefer to try and fail rather than regret not starting. Now, if this resonates for you, you might be interested in getting yourself something called a ticker watch. Apparently this watch, and a lot of entrepreneurs wearing it, it has a countdown on it of the years, months, weeks, days, minutes, and seconds you've got left based on a sort of average life expectancy calculation um, with stuff that you put in about and how much you drink and smoke and so on. And I can, I'll put a link to it on the show notes. Um, but I, it's supposed to make you happier. But I think if I had that thing on my wrist all the time, I would be stressed out on my head. So for me, it's enough just to say it to myself when I need a kick up the bum to get moving. Um, if you want to go all out and buy the watch, maybe that will make you uh, even more productive than you are today. Maybe it'll make you happier. I can understand the, the logic behind it. I just, um, I think I'd find it personally a bit challenging to have that on my wrist staring at me all the time. Anyway, that is all of the hacks. I'm going to go through them just once again so that you, you get them. So it's first one was naivety and never giving up. So that's keeping an open mind and being persistent picture power. Keep that vision in your head about the outcome you're looking for. And it will really be something that you can pull up when you're thinking about not doing something that will move you forward towards your goal, when stuff gets hard, or the weather's bad or whatever. The next one is was center stage. And that's about staying present for a number of reasons. Because that negative voice has no power in the present. And because being in the present is the place where you get all of your um, focus and energy and creativity and productivity um, at its most effective. The fourth one was loving what is. Um, remember that one is all about questioning your thoughts and accepting things as they are and then having power to make and, you know, to move forward to choose what to do about the situation. Then it was second thought. So we can't choose our first thoughts about lots of things, but we can choose the second thought um, moving forward. And then number six was be your own best friend. So banish that moany, whingy, judgy voice when you do something wrong or things don't go to plan and pull out your best friend self and give yourself a little positive psychological massage of encouragement. Uh, the next one was say it and date it. S tell people, but set a date for it and set mini deadlines to help you keep on track. And the last one was you're going to die. So <laughs> I'm not going to rub a lot about that one again. Uh, 
but yeah just keep reminding yourself that uh time is ticking and you've got things to do places to be places to see and people to love and spend time with uh and that will help you keep on on track with your goals hopefully well that is it i hope some of these hacks will help you get unstuck stay mentally strong and do something outside of your comfort zone remember your mind is a tool don't let it be a tyrant and these tactics should help you keep it in its place and working for you instead of against you brilliant thank you so much for listening if you know i love doing the show i hope you finding it of value and useful and enjoyable and uh, if you do go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss an episode so it comes out every thursday and there's some good stuff coming up you you want to catch that if you can and also if you like it please leave a review or a rating on itunes or stitcher or wherever you're listening if you're listening to it on my website leave a comment for me i would love to read them remember i i love, <laughs> need a bit of external validation every now and again apparently <laughs> um and yeah that would be awesome all that's left for me to say now is to have a great week see you next time and don't forget to grab your life by the nuts and get cracking Hey, if you're listening to this show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires, and converts. And the best bit is that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety in a free webinar masterclass. To register, go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.